Today, as it mentions up there, or did mention that we want to study something out of the Gospel of John, you might turn with me to chapter 11 of John's Gospel. It begins with an intentional delay by Jesus. We will see that he knew that Lazarus had died. He didn't hurry up and go there after he heard that he'd been sick. He delayed a few days. He wanted to give the opportunity to show a great miracle. God may have his delays for grander purposes. John 11, then beginning with verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus from Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, look, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he therefore had heard that he was sick, he stayed two days still in the same place where he was. Now, you'd expect he'd have just jumped right to it and left and gotten there and healed Lazarus before he died. But as I said, God had a greater plan. Then after that, he says to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say to him, teacher, the Jews of late tried to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things he said, and after that he says to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up out of sleep. You sleep, sleep is a term of hope. You expect when someone's just sleeping, then he's going to wake up again. Now, of course, Jesus knew that he was dead, as he's going to say here. But we think of sleep as a temporary condition. Then his disciples said, Lord, If he's sleeping, he shall do well. Albeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas said, who is called Didymus, twin, to his fellow disciples, 
Let us also go that we may die with him. Remember it mentioned that the Jews had sought to kill him there in Judea and so they were objecting about going there, endanger their lives. But Jesus insisted on going, so this was a rather bold statement by Thomas. You remember Thomas later would refuse to believe Jesus is alive again. But here he's willing to die with him. Let us also go that we may die with him. Now you might wonder why would Jesus intentionally delay going so he'd be there in time to heal Lazarus before he died. Well, the passage actually points us to two answers. Back in verse 4, the sickness is not unto death, that is, he's not going to stay dead at least, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. It was allowed because it was going to be a way of bringing glory to God Almighty, God our help in ages past, the true and living God. And of course, that's why we're here. God's people are here to bring glory and honor to God. Jesus delayed his going for the glory of God. But the other place that gives us a clue to what's going on is verse 15. I'm glad for your sakes I was not there to the intent you may believe. You see, this is something that was to happen to encourage their faith, to give them belief. And by the way, it became a very impossible situation. I was thinking about naming the message, very dead Lazarus lives. <laughs> he was very dead. How do we know that? Well, it's because of what Mary said here in verse 29, or Martha rather. The sister of him who was dead, she says to him, Lord, by this time he smells. He stinks. He's decayed. There's a terrible odor there. She was objecting that Jesus had going to try to heal him and have the stone rolled away. Earlier, she, earlier she'd indicate she had faith he could do that. But when it came right down to it, she was objecting <laughs> on this very earthly objection. So the point is, here Lazarus had been dead for days. Now what happens if we don't give oxygen to our brain in just a few minutes? <laughs> Well, we I think we know the answer to that. But here, days without oxygen to the brain, dead, very dead indeed, which makes this whole miracle to come a super kind of miracle, a mighty miracle indeed, one to bring glory to God, one to help the people have faith. I think of what it says back in Mark chapter 10. With men it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Mark 10, 27. So even though it was an impossible situation, days dead, already decomposing, God would do it. 
with God all things are possible. So you see what a great miracle this would actually be. Now he did a lot of other miracles. He'd even raised at least two other people, the widow's son at Nain and Jairus' daughter, but they hadn't been dead this long. But this was an amazing thing that was going to happen. That you may believe, verse 15. Well, then what happened? Let's pick up at verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. By the way, the Jewish people often considered a part of a day as, as a full day, I understand. Now, Bethany was close to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That is about two miles away. It was up on, you crossed the Kidron Valley and the river down there, and you started up the Mount of Olives, and finally you came to Bethany. So it was about uh, two miles away from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him and met him, but Mary sat in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, now this is a very interesting interview here. And Martha's the one, you know, kind of the person of action. So when she heard it right away, in character, she hurries up and goes to him. Lord, she says, if you had been here, my brother had not died. She knew that if he'd only gotten there, this whole thing could have been prevented. He could have healed him. But then she adds, but I know that even now, whatever you will ask from God, he will give it to you. Now, that's a great statement of faith, isn't it? She's implying that even now, after these four days, if you call him back to life, he's going to live. That's commendable that she would believe that, or at least say she believes that. Jesus says to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's kind of sidestepping the issue here, isn't she? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, although he were dead, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Those are very well-known words, are they not? I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live and never die. Do you believe this? She says to him, so she kind of cuts to the chase here, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, son of God, who should come into the world. Because of his great power, she recognized he was the Messiah. He was God's son. 
So the interview had gone quite well, and Jesus had explained who he is in his great power. She'd acknowledged that even now he could raise Lazarus from the dead. As soon as she heard that, she got up quickly and came to him. That, oh, I jumped ahead of verse, back to verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The teacher has come and calls for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly, that is Mary, and came to him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but he was in that place where Martha met him. Then the Jews, who were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She goes to the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. See, Martha had said the same thing, hadn't she? When Jesus therefore saw her crying, and the Jews also crying who came with her. He groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled. Now we might wonder, why was that? Why did he do that? And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Very, very, very short verse in the Bible. And most people and preachers point out how he was sympathizing with the people. In Romans, you know, it says, weep with them who weep. But I dare say something else was going on here more prominent than something like that. Did he weep simply because they were weeping? And he sympathized with them. Then the Jews said, look how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Again, this idea that now he can't do anything. Lazarus is dead. He could have saved him. But then it goes on, therefore, see what they've just said. This man, couldn't he have stopped him from dying? Therefore, Jesus again groaning in himself. So why was he upset? Why did he cry? Why did he get so disturbed here? Well, what had they just said? They'd basically said, you know, had he not been here, he could have kept him alive. So it showed their unbelief here, that they didn't realize that even now, as Martha had earlier said, he could raise him from the dead. So I believe he cried, and he groaned a couple of times here, primarily not because he was weeping with the people, which maybe he was, but primarily because of their unbelief. God wants us to believe and have faith. To trust in him, it helps us show how important faith it really, truly is. 
that you might believe, as we saw back there in verse 15. God wants us to truly have faith in him. So I believe he was upset, quite upset, because he saw an unbelief rearing its ugly head. Back in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 3, we find that when they exhibited unbelief concerning the healing of a man with the withered hand, not only did he groan in himself, as it were, it says he was angry. <laughs> God takes a very dim view of our unbelief. And so he was seeking to encourage their faith and our faith. He is able even at the impossible, to do what he chooses. His power is there. And from the Daniel scripture that was read earlier, we see how great and eternal this power is. Going now back to verse 38. Therefore, Jesus again, groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now we see some unbelief here, as I pointed out earlier. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, says to him, Lord, by this time he smells, he stinks, because he's been dead four days. Remember, she said you can even now raise him from the dead, but you can see this is a... A statement of unbelief, can you not? Jesus says to her, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God? Again, back to chapter 4 about God being glorified, our purpose in life. Didn't I tell you? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead one was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. We should have that confidence when we pray as well, should we not? He lifted up his eyes. He didn't close his eyes when he prayed like we sometimes say we have to do. No, the thing that counts is the heart. And I knew that you hear me always. But because of the people who stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. Again, focus on helping them have faith, to trust, to know he is the Son of God. He's all-powerful. And when he had thus spoken, he yelled out with a loud voice. This is truly dramatic. Imagine it in your head if you could be standing there and seeing this. Stone's been rolled away. Jesus has prayed, and now he yells out with a very loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I remember years ago I saw a film, and it dramatized this. I think there was a little pause, and then there you saw this figure emerge from the cave, wrapped about with the grave clothes. What an amazing thing that was. Now, that was in a film. But what if you'd really been standing there and seen this? It was super amazing. It was unbelievable. Lazarus come out, and he did. 
And he that was dead came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. That would have been quite a sight. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Remember that buried Jesus that way too. Jesus says to them, let him loose and let him go. Unwrap him, loosen him. Then we find out what happened. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Okay, that was what was to happen. We saw that earlier, didn't we, in verse 15. God was glorified. This was a great occasion for people to trust in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now let's go over to chapter 30 of John. Fits right in with verses 30 and 31. Very important verses. Tells us why the miracles in the Gospel of John are there, including this miracle, resurrection of Lazarus. But it had just concluded with the resurrection of Jesus. And it says in verse 30, many other signs assuredly Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So many other signs, many other miracles. Well, if you're well acquainted with the Gospel of John, you know there are seven or eight outstanding miracles that are recorded. But these are written, these signs, these miracles, Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, marriage of Cana, wine being made from water, feeding of the 5,000, what have you. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So that's why these miracles in John, including Lazarus, are there, to help us believe. And that's what happened back then, after he was raised. Many of them believed. And notice, too, maybe something you hadn't ever really zeroed in on before in verse 30 here, 2030. Many other signs truly Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. They witnessed it. They were there. John saw it. John's gospel is an eyewitness account of what happened. It's a historical document. It proves beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus is the Messiah in the presence of his disciples. Sometimes we forget that. Matthew also is a first-person account, an eyewitness. Gospel of Mark is felt to have been dedicated by or dictated by, basically by Peter, but written down by Mark, who was thought to be the young man that fled from the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was apprehended. So those three Gospels are basically eyewitness accounts. The other Gospel is Luke, and he was a very careful, accurate historian. He was a doctor as well. God used him to gather together the facts of the case, the historical truths. And so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts with that same carefulness and accuracy. So these things are there that we might believe and know that Jesus is who he says he is. What mere man could 
in himself raise a person from the dead who'd been dead for four days. Hadn't heard of such a thing. A mighty miracle indeed. Having said that, let's go back to chapter 11. After mentioning that there were those who believed on him in verse 45, it goes on to say, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and they told them what things Jesus had done. There was no question that he'd done them. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together a council, and they said, what are we going to do? Because this man does many miracles. Very interesting. His enemies admitted he was doing many miracles. In fact, back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus right at first told him, a Pharisee of the council, that they knew that he was doing miracles. So it wasn't a denial of the fact he did these things. It was an acknowledgment and helps it prove to us that these things really had happened. That wasn't the problem. This man does many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Now, that'd be good, wouldn't it? They didn't like it, though. Why? And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Okay, they were under the control of the Roman army, and they could see that if Jesus really took over and set himself up as a king, for example, the Romans would come, and they, they couldn't be the big shots anymore in, the, in their religion and in their country, and their country would be under further domination of the hated Romans. So it was partly self-induced, a self-protection. We want to stay important leaders, and so we're going to lose that. And uh, not only that, the nation's going to suffer. One of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest of that same year, he said to them, You don't know anything, nor consider that. It is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation does not perish. Now, he said something way beyond what he knew he was saying. It explains here, verse 51, And this he spoke not from himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but also he should gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So here was a great prophecy from an unexpected source, <laughs> one of his chief enemies, that he was going to die for the sins of the world. Amazing. Then from that day on, they took counsel together for to put him to death. So this is quite a sequel. Many people believed, but it solidified the opposition, and they were determined to kill him, that they might maintain their own position and keep the Romans from really devastating them. But there is a further sequel. You might call it a further sequel. I put it down in the 
outline here, God will also raise up Christians. Well, that's a sequel as well. In 1 Corinthians 6, 14, it says God has both raised up the Lord and also raised us up. Talking about Christians. So, Lazarus's resurrection, impossible though it was, points to the resurrection soon to come of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection with a glorified body never to die again guarantees the resurrection of all who trust in him, guarantees your resurrection as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, guarantees my resurrection. To me, that is a tremendous security and comfort to know that God has promised to raise this old dying body someday into being a glorious, victorious body. Here's how it's put in the book of uh, Philippians. Philippians, the last part of chapter 3, it's verse 21. Speaking of Jesus, and it says, he shall change our vile body in the King James, the Greek actually says the body of our humiliation. Why do we have bodies of humiliation? Well, for one thing, because they're going to die unless he comes and takes us before. For another thing, we get sick. For another thing, we have a sin nature. There are many things that help show that we have bodies that are bodies of humiliation, bodies hopefully that will be changed. But that's what it says. It says he shall change our body of humiliation that it may be fashioned like to his glorious body. Christ's body, his resurrection body, is a glorious body. It's a body that will never die, a body that is powerful, of course, he never had the sin nature, but the new body, of course, didn't have the sin nature either. But we do, and that will be changed. We won't have it anymore. In that sense, we'll have a spiritual body, a body of flesh and bones, a victorious body, that we may truly serve the Lord and bring glory to him in a new and wondrous way. So it says that it may be fashioned like to his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So he can even do a greater miracle than that which happened with Lazarus. He can bring us all alive, and he will do that. I noticed in one of the songs it talked about turning bones into an army. Well, you probably realize that came from Ezekiel chapter 37, where there's a valley of dry bones and how God made them live. In Jesus, we find the first one who got this new and glorified body. But it's promised, as we see here in Philippians 3.21, for everybody who believes in him, even though they've been in the grave for centuries, <laughs> even though they've been maybe burned to ashes, 
even though they've been lost at sea and eaten by sharks or whatever. God can raise up the body, make it into a glorious body, no longer the body of humiliation, but the body of victory and glory, a body more fit to serve the Lord than we have today. And so as we think of Lazarus and his fantastic resurrection, the very dead Lazarus raised from the dead, what a prelude that is to the resurrection of Jesus, an even greater resurrection, and then our resurrection, which he promises to all believers. Hope these thoughts will encourage you, will help your faith, will help us all to bring glory to God in how we live our lives. Maybe we have a prayer. First, I'll just wait a little bit and not say anything that if you want to rededicate or dedicate your life to Jesus in a new and fresh way, you'll have opportunity to do so. So as we're silent for a few moments, if you want to do that, please do so. Lord, you've heard each and one of every one of these prayers. You know the desires of our hearts. We thank you for your great forgiveness and for your wondrous promises. Thank you that as amazing as Lazarus's resurrection was, the resurrection of Jesus into a glorious body is even more so. And perhaps even more so than that will be our resurrection from the bodies of our humiliation. Thank you for what you did to die for the sins of the world, to be gloriously raised from the dead, the first with this new and glorious body, and how that guarantees the resurrection of all your people into a similar glorious body as well. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and honor you. We praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.